and uh, my name is Marshall Brown, if I haven't met you. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at uh, Grace Prez. Um, good to be back. It is true I had a, a little side dish of COVID for Thanksgiving. Um, it was a breakthrough case. Thankfully, my symptoms were mild. Uh, I know you heard about it. Several of you reached out. I was, I was fine, and now I'm one of the more safe people on the planet, both vaccinated and having uh, some natural immunity. So, uh, But thank you, and again, my symptoms were mild, but thank you for checking on me. I do want to say welcome to all of you who are in the room this morning. I want to say all of you who are welcoming online, uh, joining live or watching later, uh, welcome, hello uh, to you. And a couple uh, announcements in addition to those that you just heard. One is uh, there'll be a couple of prayer meetings this Tuesday. Uh, one will be at noon in this building. One will be at 7 p.m. online. And prayer really is uh, the engine that drives the Christian life in so many different ways. And we often think of prayer as well, frankly, it's boring, uh, and it's just kind of giving God a list. But in many ways, prayer is like something that strengthens your appetites, uh, your imagination, even your ability to follow, uh, to follow Jesus. So I hope that uh, you'll consider coming to one or both. I'll be leading an uh, in-person prayer service here at noon on Tuesday. Uh, there'll be an online one. There's a link in the Grace Connect for the 7 p.m. Uh, prayer meeting on Tuesday night. Uh, I really do believe those are the most important meetings of our church uh, this month. But again, welcome to our church. Welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. Our name says a lot about us, Grace. We fundamentally believe that the grace of God in Christ changes everything. We believe that grace changes everything. Uh, and because of that, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we welcome you here. We play and uh, believe that grace is a place where you can grow in your faith and find community. But this is not just for those who know and follow Jesus. This is also a place, Grace is, Grace Prez, uh, for people who are investigating Christianity, who have questions and doubts and don't believe and want to ask questions and process those doubts. We want this to be a safe place where you have the space to ask your questions and to process uh, your doubts. But Grace is also a church for those who have been burned by the church or by other Christians. You believe in Jesus, but you have a problem with God's people uh, because you've been hurt. And we really want grace to be a safe space for you. Maybe you need to come in late. Maybe you need to leave early. And you need to feel the freedom to do that, to sit in the back, whatever it is that you need to do uh, for you to kind of process uh, your faith wherever it is, which is to say that we welcome everyone, no matter what you believe or where you are on the faith spectrum, uh, because we believe fundamentally that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, resurrected uh, from the dead. And he has revealed himself to us, and we come to worship him and study about him. And we do so primarily through his word, the Bible, to which we turn our attention uh, now. Let me pray, though, before we look at the passage uh, that Bruce read for us just a moment ago. God, it's the holiday season, and so we come into this room, and we bring all kinds of cares, concerns, joys, hopes, disappointments. All of us carry a load with us as we come into this room. And so God, I pray by the power of your spirit and through your word that you would meet each person where they are, that they would be able to deal honestly with their own heart and what you have to say to them this morning uh, through Matthew 13. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Excuse me. Well, I do appear uh, to like working. I'm not a creative person, uh, particularly. I'm not an artistic person, but I appear to like working with creative and artistic people. Uh, many of you would know that Nick Swanner, associate pastor, is a professionally trained musician. He has a master's degree uh, from Juilliard. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Master's degree in music performance from Juilliard. The prior uh, associate pastor was a man named Jason Little. Some of you would know Jason Little. 
And Jason, despite the fact that he kind of suppressed this, at heart he was a creative. He was a creative, uh, he was a painting major in college, a beautiful painting. He would never show us painting, but I got him to show me a couple, and they were so good. He was a painting major, an artist. And one time Jason said something to me that has stuck with me for a long time, probably for the rest of my life. He says, every time, this is the mark of a great painting, he said. Every time you look at a great painting, every time you see something new, something you had not seen before. And what I want to do today is I want to look at these three parables of Jesus. There's actually four that are told here. We're not going to look at the parable of uh, the fish in the net. That's very reminiscent of the parable of the weeds that Nick looked at last week in verses 47 to 50. We're going to look at the others that are around this, the other three. But we're going to look at these parables. And parables are short, fictional stories that Jesus tells to make a point, to teach us something. And in this parable, uh, these three parables that we're going to look at, they're like, they're like paintings that Jesus is painting for us and asking to carry around in our mind's eye. The first, verse 44, is a treasure in a field. The second painting, the second story, is verses 45 and 46, the pearl of great value. And then verses 51 to 52, uh, the master of a house who has all these beautiful wares that he shows off. Now, I think you're going to like these stories and relate to them, even if you've never heard them before, or if you've heard them many times, and you're looking at them for the thousandth time. Uh, the first one, uh, buried treasure, right? I mean, here we are in the, in the realm of pirates of the Caribbean, right? Uh, because I was studying this passage, I went back to my high school years a little bit and listened to a little Jimmy Buffett. A little more relevant these days, a pirate looks at 40. Uh, I am a pirate 200 years too late, he sings. The cannons don't thunder, there's nothing to plunder. I'm an over 40 victim of fate. But then there's a second one, the pearl of great price. This is an investor, maybe a private equity investor, who has the ability to spot a good deal, to spot the best deal. And then the third parable we'll look at, the master of the house who brings out their treasure, the new and old. That's like an interior decorator, right? Or a curator of a museum. I think you'll like these stories. Well, today is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent means coming. And during Advent, we look back to Jesus' first coming at Christmas, but we also look forward to his second coming when he will come again to make all things new. And we're looking during this time of Advent at these parables from Jesus about his kingdom, about the kingdom of God. He says at the beginning of each parable, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells a story, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now the thing about the kingdom of heaven is this is Jesus' number one sermon topic. In Matthew chapter 4, when he starts to introduce his ministry, Matthew says that he began to preach the kingdom of heaven. The same thing is said in Mark chapter 1, when he begins his ministry, he began talking about the kingdom of heaven. And interestingly enough, after he's been raised from the dead, but before he's ascended to heaven, in Acts chapter 1, he says he spent time teaching the disciples about, you guessed it, the kingdom of this is what Jesus really cares about, and it's what he wants to teach us about, what his kingdom is like and what it will be like. And I really believe he's telling these stories to paint a picture in our mind's eye. Because if you just give a dialogue or a monologue, it just kind of floats over. But if you have these images in your mind, you hold on to them. Now today, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I'm going to give you the meaning of these parables. These parables have a very straightforward meaning. They're short and they're very clear. Verse 44, the first parable, is a person, a man who discovers a treasure in a field that he does not own, okay? Now, back in these days, right, there was no banks, there was no security deposit boxes. If you had a treasure, how do you hold on to it? 
You had to hide it, right? You had to hide it. And in this land, uh, the, the ancient Near East, was the crossroads of the ancient world. So people would have been coming and going. So if somebody dies, it's really kind of possible that you would find a buried treasure. A couple weeks ago, I went to the, Orient, the OI, the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago. Fabulous museum. I mean, it's a testimony to the layers upon layers upon layers that are found of buried treasure in this very region. Okay? So this person finds this treasure... They cover it up so nobody else can find it. Then they go and sell all they have, and then they buy the field in which the treasure was hidden, thereby purchasing the treasure. The second story, verses 45 and 46, is a merchant. This is a connoisseur of fine products. This is somebody with an eye for greatness, right? An eye for good deals. And they come across a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a pearl of great value. And they sell everything to buy that one pearl. Now, these first two parables, the meaning is very clear. I'll say it twice. If you're taking notes, write this down. Very clear. The kingdom of God is so valuable, it's worth sacrificing everything to attain it. Okay? Let me say it again. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing everything to gain it. Okay? The third parable we'll look at just a little bit is the master of a house who displays and shows the treasure that is God's kingdom. We'll come to that in a moment. But here's what, here's what I want you to see this morning, okay? More important than what these parables mean, more important than what they mean is how they function, how they function in your life, right? And that's why today I want to hang these three paintings in your mental furniture to walk with you for the rest of your days. The painting of a treasure in a field, a buried treasure. A parable of, or a picture of a pearl of great price and a painting of a master in a house showing off his collection. Something new, something old. And I want to hang them so that for the rest of the days when you think you're at a stoplight and your mind just kind of goes blank and you happen to remember back to these stories that Jesus told, that you look at these things, that you look at these paintings, you see something fresh, something new, something deeper. Now to do that, I want us to see four things that these stories teach us about the kingdom of God. I want us to see about the motivation of God's kingdom, the discernment of God's kingdom, the cost of that kingdom, and the rewards of that kingdom. But first, the motivation of God's kingdom. Now, these first two stories are obviously very repetitive in many ways. If you're looking at them, look at verses 44 and following. But there are some differences. Uh, the first parable appears to be a laborer, therefore likely poor. And then the person who is the, the, the pearl, kind of, they're probably rich, right? Uh, one person finds a treasure by accident. The other one is shopping for it, right? In one case, the seller seems to know what is happening. In the first story, the seller does not seem to know about the treasure. But both, both stories picture two people whose lives are transformed by a treasure. And the motivation is joy. Look with me, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Now, the word joy is not in the second parable, but the idea certainly is selling all he has to buy the pearl of great value. You see, friends, joy is the engine of change. Joy is the motivation. It motivates these people to sell everything to possess this one thing. Now this is fundamentally true. If you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is fundamentally true of every human being on the planet. We always do what we think will make us happy. Always. We always do what we think will make us happy. I mean, think about it. Even if someone who does terrible things, 
They do those terrible things because in some way they think they're going to make themselves feel good or feel better, feel happy. Even someone who is duty-bound, right? They choose duty because they think that duty will bring them joy. It's a fundamentally true of humans. We always do what we think will bring us happiness. There's No one has to tell the treasure hunter or the pearl merchant what to do. The treasure tells them all. It motivates them. Joy is the engine of change. Now, this is also true for every person who has chosen to follow Jesus. It's a choosing of joy. Yes, it's true theologically that God works in us. His spirit moves in us. But personally, we only choose Jesus. We only choose Jesus because we believe he will bring and offers us joy. As Paul says in Colossians 2, we'll talk about this in a moment, but we, we believe at some level, imperfectly or not, that in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, C.S. Lewis is a name known to some of you. I think there's actually a movie in the theaters about him these days. Uh, but C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford and then at Cambridge in the last century. He became a very famous public intellectual of the Narnia Tales, a uh, pretty well-known guy in the 20th century. And... Um, C.S. Lewis came to faith in Jesus later in his life in his early 30s, and when he wrote his spiritual autobiography, when he wrote the story of his coming to faith, he entitled it Surprised by Joy. It is joy that motivates us. Joy is what brings us to God and to his kingdom. We always do, and we always choose the thing that we think is going to bring us happiness, joy. These are stories about finding joy. But this raises a question, does it not? Because if joy and beauty are the motivation to pursue God and his kingdom, what if Jesus and his kingdom aren't really bringing us joy? If we really don't believe that this is the great pearl of great price, that this is the great treasure, what if we don't think that Jesus and his kingdom really bring joy? I mean, for instance, perhaps you're like, well, intellectually, I know Jesus is supposed to bring joy. But man, there's this other thing, and it's real compelling. Maybe it's something you want to buy, a new car, Tesla, a new bag, you know, uh, that trip, that accomplishment, uh, the right partner, a different partner, the perfect child, right? You see, what do you do when your joy discerner, that's a new thing, your joy discerner is broken or out of tune or not aligned? What your joy discerner? Let me illustrate in a way that's uh, pretty relevant at Christmas time. Uh, a way that many of us have a broken or out-of-alignment joy discerner, okay? Consumerism. Consider the logic of consumerism. We see something we like, we buy it. When we no longer like it, we throw it away. But then we go away and we buy it again, this time more expensively, right? In fact, there's a diminishing return to consumerism. You need more and more to feel good, right? Better and better. Nicer and nicer. The trip of a lifetime that you've looked forward to. It just becomes an appetizer for the next five trips that you want to take, right? You see, our joy discerners are broken. They're out of alignment. They need to be repaired and reset. I have a watch, this watch. It always runs late. I have to reset it every single day. It's not the reason I'm made to leave. Made to leave. That, that's my own problem. But I literally had to reset it this morning. It always runs about three or four minutes late through the course of a day. And this is the same with our joy discerners. They need to be reset, repaired, realigned. We must reset our joy discerner. But how? But how? Look with me, verse 51. Jesus says, have you understood all these things? This is the conclusion of his teaching on the parables. And they said to him, yes. 
And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, Jesus is, first of all, describing his teaching ministry. It is hot up here. Um, the picture is the master of a house, right? Okay, It's his own, Jesus' teaching ministry, but it is a wealthy homeowner who knows how to share from his treasure what is new and what is old to make it pleasing to those who have come into his home, okay? This is like, well, it's like an interior designer or the curator of a museum who knows how to mix new and old pieces, right, the most, in the most pleasing manner. You bring out something ancient and something new, right? You bring out an antique and then an avant-garde painting. Now, such a person, Jesus says, is like a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven who brings out the new and the old. Now, Jesus is here primarily referring to teachers, preachers, and theologians who know how to make sense of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. People who know how to mix the grace of God with the law of God, who do know how to show the beauty of God's kingdom and the terror of God's judgment. To quote my favorite theologian and teacher, Augustine, he says this about this passage, he is a learned preacher. In the church who knows how to bring forth things new concerning the sweetness of the kingdom and to speak of things old concerning the terror of punishment. Now, some of you uh, may know my friend who's a member of our church, Todd Vandermolen. Now, Todd is a, I'm not a wine person. I don't really, I don't have a fine taste for wine, but Todd does. He has an amazing wine cell. He has an amazing wine treasure. And so several times I've been to his house for dinner parties. And it's amazing because Todd will go to his wine treasure, his wine cellar, he'll bring out a bottle and he'll say, Marsha, you're going to love this. This is something new. Or this is something else. Try the white burgundy like I've ever had a white burgundy. Like, try, just try it. You're going to love it. And here's the thing. Every time I leave Todd's house, I'm, first of all, I'm able to better discern wine. But also I have learned how to better enjoy wine. He has brought out the new and the old. And I'm able to better discern it and better enjoy it. But friends, this is not just for preachers and teachers. This is so important. We all must become trained in the kingdom of heaven, as he says here. Trained in the kingdom of heaven. Masters of our own house. Masters of our own house. Able to know the new from the old. You have to learn and grow in your ability to know when to apply the grace of God to yourself and those around you. And when to apply the law of God to yourself and those around you. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a good master of the house? How do you, in other words, reset or repair your joy discerner? How do you do it? How do you reset your joy? Well, two things. The first is you must learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You must learn to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself every day. Something new and something old. About once a quarter, if not once a month, I quote Jack Miller on this point. He says that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian gospel is this, is that you are more wicked than you ever dared imagine, and simultaneously in Christ you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. More wicked than you ever dared imagine, more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. That is something old. You are wicked. That is something new, though, that you are loved and accepted for nothing that you've done just because God has poured his love upon you. And we just learn to preach the God. Both those things are true. 
And the master of the house is someone who comes along to themselves and applies both the truth of our weakness and the truth of God's love and acceptance of us. Something new, something old. And the more we believe those things, slowly but surely, by the grace of God, our pride gets crushed and Jesus and his kingdom become more and more beautiful, more and more valuable. Slowly, our discerner is reset. But the second thing, and this also is from Jack Miller, is that we need to surround, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, but we also need to surround ourselves with what Jack Miller, or at least one of his disciples, calls a gospel posse. I love this, a gospel posse. What is a gospel posse? This is, first of all, it's being under and around God's gospel-centered preaching and teaching, but it's also having gospel-loving friends discerning voices who can bring out the new and the old and show you the true joy that is Christ in his kingdom, his kingdom. But finding this joy, so we've seen the motivation, we've seen the discernment of the kingdom, but now we need to look at the cost, the cost of this kingdom, because the cost is everything, okay? The treasure in the field, verse 44, it says this about the man, in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. For the pearl, verse 46, it says, the man on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the pearl. Now in both cases, the person sold everything they owned in order to purchase the treasure, the one thing. So the natural question is, what does selling all mean? Now in the original context Jesus first hears, I think this primarily meant leaving behind whatever aspirations those people had about the Jewish Messiah. They had a view of the Messiah as a conquering Messiah. Leaving behind those aspirations and embracing who Jesus presented himself. But for us, selling all means being prepared to abandon everything that stands in the way of following Jesus. I love how David Platt says it. We joyfully let go of all things so that we can take hold passionately of one thing. We joyfully let go of all things so that we can passionately take hold of one thing. Now, there's several things about the cost of this kingdom that I want to draw our attention to. The first, this is not a once-in-time selling of all. This is a lifetime. I love the way that Elle talked about this in her story. It's not like she's got it perfect, right? She has to keep selling, has to keep pursuing, has to keep going after that treasure. It's a daily spending, not a once in time. But there's also this. What we're asked to sell, it's different for every person in this room. Every person in this room, it may look similar, but for all of us, it's a little bit different. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. But you have to ask yourself, what are the one or two things, the one or two things that really I think will bring me more joy than Jesus will? probably different than the person sitting next to you. What are the one or two things that you think will bring you more joy than the person sitting next to you? If you're a student, maybe it's being in the right crowd or having the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend, being cool, getting the right grade. You get a little further along in life, it's having the right job, holding on to your health. I mean, just having comfort, Uh, you know, financial security. You know, the old Christmas carol, oh, come thou long expected, IRA, right? Um, The right family arrangements, the affirmation of a certain person or group of persons or just public acclaim in the public's eye. What is it for you? What is the treasure for you that you're tempted to look to to bring you joy more 
than Jesus? Where does your joy discerner need to be reset? Because whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that is the cost of the kingdom for you. But I got some really good news. Because here is the deal. It's not really a cost. It's an investment, and it's a great investment. I want you to imagine that I gave you a little thought experiment here, that I gave you a metal detector, and I said, I want you to go over to the Village Green, about a couple hundred yards from here, the Winnetka Village Green, and I want you to search out with your your metal detector, and you're going to find a little coin. You're going to pull the coin out of the ground, and the coin says, the bearer of this coin, upon selling everything, will possess 51% of all of Amazon stock, right? That would make you close to a trillionaire, by the way, okay? 51, you get it, right? But what do you have to do to get that 51, whatever, how many billions of dollars? What do you, have, you have to sell everything. You have to sell everything to get You're going to displace Jeff Bezos, but you have to sell everything. So what are you going to do? Are you going to take it or not? You got to, dis, to get the coin, 51% of Amazon, you got to sell everything. Everything. Your house, your car, your finest possessions, whatever that you love most. You know, your, your wedding ring, right? You're like, baby, you got to give me the wedding ring. We're going to go pawn that thing. I got I to gotta sell everything. Trust me, I'll get you a nice one, right? And then you got to buy it back, right? You see, this is the best deal ever. The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. It's not a cost, friends. It's an investment. This is why I think there's a way to talk about this passage that really induces guilt. What do I got to sell? You know, what do I got? No, 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 no. Let joy lead you. Let love lead you. Understand that the beauty of God's kingdom and its joy is what draws us on. Don't be motivated by guilt and think about what you've got to sell. Look at the pearl. Look at the treasure in the field. Look at the kingdom of God and its king. Look at, look at Jesus. And the cost just seems to pale in comparison. It's just the best investment you ever would make. And the reason it's the best deal, and this brings us to the final report point, the rewards of God's kingdom. We've seen the motivation of the kingdom, the discernment of the kingdom, the cost of the kingdom. But finally, there are the rewards. So the first person gets a treasure in a field. The second person gets a pearl beyond value. What is the treasure? Two things that I'm going to talk about. I can talk about a lot. This is such good news. You get a new you. I owe this first point to Tim Keller. You get a new you, right? Every part of your life is revolutionized. You know, the spiritual treasure is not like this tack-on thing that just makes you a little bit better person, improves you. It remakes you from top to bottom, inside out. It makes you a person in love with Christ and his joy. When they hold, take hold of this spiritual treasure, these, people, these two people's lives, their lives are completely transformed. They're changed. They'll sell everything because of that. They want their lives transformed, right? 51% of Amazon, just think about it. I went to... Um, some of you would know, I think it's on my bio. I went for college, I went to uh, Vanderbilt. And I went to Vanderbilt for all the reasons everybody goes to Vanderbilt. Uh, power, money, and a good Rolodex, right? And connections. That's why I went to Vanderbilt. That's why many of you want to go. It's, not a, it's a good school, you ought to go. I'll write you a recommendation. It's not going to help. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but at Vanderbilt, when I was pursuing those things, and I was a Christian at the time, I met the oddest person. I met the oddest person. There was this man. He was from this aristocratic southern family. Actually, one time visited his ancestral home, this beautiful home in South Carolina. And this is a man who had left all that he had behind to pursue God's kingdom. And he was the happiest person I'd ever met until I met Walter Gast. But he was the most joyful, happy man that I ever met. I was like, what is this? What is the deal? 
What is the deal with this person? Because not only did this person not have all the things I thought you needed to be happy, he had had them and given them up. Basically been disowned by his family for the joy. I felt like when Harry met Sally, I'll have what he's having. I want that. There was a joy that infused him. It changed my life because I saw in somebody, somebody who had left everything because they knew the joy of God's kingdom. You see, first of all, the treasure, the reward is you get a new you. But second of all, you get Jesus. I do love Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. I honestly think I could preach on this verse the rest of my life every week and say something new. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, you ought to memorize this. Jesus, think about this phrase, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You into like astrophysics? Like Jesus, he's got all that. Are you into beautiful music? Jesus has got all that. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing about him that is not beautiful, joyful, and full of wisdom and knowledge. You get Jesus. And if you don't believe that, maybe you need to go back to that master of the house and look at those things new and old that he brings out. But friends, it's not just that you get Jesus. Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you. You see, one way to think about these parables is that we are the treasure buried in the field. We are the pearl of great price that Jesus sold all to possess us. He sold all to possess us. Think about this. He was God beyond God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and he left the realms of glory in heaven to become a baby. That's Christmas. And then he gave up the life that he was given on this earth by dying for the, on, the, on the cross for our, the sins of the world. That is Good Friday. And after the suffering, the pain of crucifixion, being cut off from his father in death, he was raised to new life and he was given the pearl of great value. The treasure hidden in the field. And what was it? You. (laughs) We are his treasure that he gave all for. You see, friends, it's not just that we get Jesus, but that Jesus gets us. We are. We're his treasure. So as you go forth today, I want you to have these three pictures hanging in your mental furniture. These pictures that Jesus paints for us. A treasure buried in a field that's worth everything. A pearl of great value. And a master of a house who knows how to show what is new and what is old so that we might discern the joy and the goodness of God's kingdom. Friends, this is the hope of Christmas, that we are God's treasure and we get to grab hold of him as our treasure. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that your son gave us these simple stories that we can continue to look at again and again and always learn something new and see something new about your love for us, your goodness to us, and the joy that you offer. Would we this Christmas season again and again look at the treasure, the pearl, and the master of the house? For Christ's sake and in his name we pray, amen.